You're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. The following program was recorded at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Here is your host, Alicia Sutton. We are broadcasting live from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions from Orlando, Florida in January 2018 at their annual meeting. And joining me is Dr. Alvaro Margolis. He is going to talk to the crowd here about applying Facebook and other social network approaches to interprofessional continuing education. So introduce yourself, please. Tell us where you're from and your company. Yes, I'm from Uruguay in South America, Montevideo, the capital, which is very close to Buenos Aires. And I'm an internist and I have a master's degree in biomedical informatics from the University of Utah. And I'm the president of Evimed, which is a company that works in online international CME, bilingual Spanish and Portuguese across Latin America. Excellent. Well, we look forward to talking about this because Facebook is obviously everywhere. Social media is everywhere and more so in education. So give us kind of the lay of the land. What was your project going to be about? Why Facebook in this educational realm? Basically, you have to think that Latin America has one million physicians. It's a large audience of learners. And what can you do if you have, for example, 1,500 or 2,000 participants in an online course? Maybe you can have tutors, but how many tutors do you need? So what we wanted to do is to have meaningful interactions among participants who know each other and with the faculty in a way that can be automated instead of having an army of tutors, which is what you need if you have 2,000 participants. Right. So the social media discussions among those members would be its sort of own tutor. Exactly. The interaction, if you can interact with people you know and you trust, and also with the faculty in an automated way, it is in real life. When you have a problem and you're learning, you want to reflect with people you trust to see if you want to change your practice. And that's something that if you use what Facebook or Twitter or other social media platforms use, you can have it within the learning platform. That was the concept and why we got into this research and innovation project. Right. And so there is some social media science used here, but I know that when you do present, you're going to talk about the challenges that you faced, including how to gather the information in a meaningful way and other challenges. Can you address some of those for us? Yes. Once you know that you really want to use what Facebook does, Facebook has 2 billion users every month. And you don't see uh, the 2 billion users. You see the peripheral around yourself, the people that you know. And once you want to realize that you want to do that, you have to gather the data about the contacts of the people who are participating in a course. Imagine any course in medicine. So the first thing is to gather the contacts, the data, the, the people that each participant who is registering to a course, who does this person know from the other list of participants? And are they members of the same team in the same institution? Or do they know each other from because they know from the association where they work? So we took a quick break, and we are now back and joining us on this discussion about Facebook and other social network approaches in interprofessional education is Jan Balmer. Jan, introduce yourself, because you're a colleague here. Sure. I'm a colleague of Alvaro Margolis, my dear friend from 
South America, Latin America. I am Jan Balmer from the University of Virginia School of Medicine. I am a nurse with a PhD in higher education, past president of the Alliance, and involved with accreditation for nursing as well. And Alvaro and I have been involved in global continuing education and interprofessional continuing education and looking for really creative strategies to try to engage globally all our clinicians and researchers and learners in a way to improve care in all corners of the world, right? Terrific. So we were we were talking about the fact that there are 2 billion Facebook users mm-hmm. all over and that you need to gather that information about a subset of them. What was the geographic footprint of the users that came into your study? Yes, basically, as I said, we have one million physicians in Latin America and also other healthcare professionals because we're talking about learners, not only physicians, but the healthcare teams as a whole. So it's a large setting and you're going to have massive audiences. I'm talking about courses between 1,000 and 2,000 participants. Okay. So, and in any type of disease like uh, infection control or nephrology or pediatrics, And you can imagine uh, similar problems with the size of the population of physicians and uh, the healthcare teams in in the U.S. Right. So the really important work that Alvaro is doing is because a lot of the healthcare professionals and healthcare teams are widely distributed geographically across Latin America. In the United States, we have some very concentrated areas and then some really very rural areas. And it is really a challenge to try to figure out what the best strategies are to get the information so that access and optimum care is being delivered and that you're not affected by what your access is to health care or what your access is to a major metropolitan area. At the University of Virginia, we're actually more in a rural area. So I'm very sensitive to the fact that we really need to make sure that We utilize a lot of these strategies, and we're building off of the information and the research that Alvaro and his group in Latin America have done so that we can see how it works in the United States and ways that it'll make a difference. That's great. Is this ongoing right now? You're working this at the university? Well, we're just getting it. We're really just getting it started because his work is still very much in formative and early summative stages. We're really going to have to look at what lessons we've learned, how they're working, how the best way to adapt it, because the healthcare systems themselves are very different. The way insurance is carried out, the way people receive care is very different. And so we have to sort of take those cultural and geographic issues into consideration when we look at how social media plays. Right. So tell us a little bit about how you used the data from a social network analysis theory, which is part of what you're presenting. How did you use the data to generate dialogue among those members? Basically, the first thing that we thought is that having information about how connected each participant is would give us a forecast of how well or bad at the end of the course the the person would do. That was the first idea because what we saw before is that people less connected or groups that are less connected didn't finish the courses uh, as many as people who or groups of specialists who were more connected. So, so more connected meaning they had more friends in that they, network. Exactly. So the more they had, the more likely it was they were going to complete. Right. So what it creates is a community of practice. It gives you 
peers that you can discuss and have dialogue with. One of the most important things about continuing education, aside from providing them with the latest research, is to give them an opportunity to put it into context and to put it within their care environment and then to bounce their ideas and their concerns and their challenges off their peers in a way that creates sort of a collective mentality or approach or philosophy to care. Exactly. Right. And people who are less connected effectively in our research is less likely that this person participates more, I mean participates in a meaningful way and ends up the course. So there is a relationship that we, after we studied it, we find a correlation between the two variables, more or less connected and participation and completion of the courses. That was the first thing that we did in one of the research projects. But then regarding interaction, which is what I was talking about in Jam 2, first we thought, well, maybe once we have the information about how people are connected, maybe we can create balanced groups, groups that are well-balanced. All the groups have more or less the same connections, and people are more or less well-connected in each of the groups. Right. And that's something that we did with mathematical algorithms. We made sure that the groups, discussion groups, were balanced, and people were connected to each other in those groups. But then you needed the tutors for that, and if you have a, it doesn't help. So we said, well, let's, why don't we try to do something similar to what Facebook does or Twitter, And uh, we started doing that so that each person participating in the course would see the thread of discussion around themselves and their friends and the friends of the friends and then the faculty too. Right. These were private groups, obviously, on Facebook. It isn't run on Facebook. It's on a, okay. on a learning platform, and these are people who are locked in the course. It uses the same kind of algorithms, Got but it. it's not run in Facebook. Because if you run it in a social platform, then you have the restraints of the social platform, uh, like privacy and right. confidentiality. But this is run on a, on a learning platform, okay. but using the same kind of algorithm. Right. Absolutely. And so was any of this a surprise to you, the outcomes you've seen so far? And before, before we change the topics, we applied this. One of the first applications we did was in a course that we run together for Latin America with the Global Alliance for Medical Education, with Jan uh, leading the, the education committee. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it, it actually is supported very strongly by research. What we know is is that physicians and healthcare teams want to learn and they want to provide good quality of care, but the elements of communication and in the context in which they provide the care and the support that they receive from their peers in terms of fostering that positive improvement and getting positive feedback about that all link very much to change theory and a whole adult learning theory because it's answering questions that they're dealing with every day in their practice. And so what you want to do is leverage that research and that evidence that we know provides better patient outcomes and more active learning into formats that are now um, consistent with what societies and professions and you know what we used to do on paper or through other kinds of methodologies is now very much in a social media style platform right in the groups that are connected yeah Right. right and actually the length of time is shorter so what we know is is that people stay engaged for shorter periods of time so you have to be really focused on what 
the messages are, but there has to be a personal connection because if the personal connection's not there, then they aren't engaged at the level that we need them to be. And that's interesting that you raise time because you're right. Social media has trained us to go in and out very quickly to get in, out, get information. So you have to think about that in the construct of education where we have been thinking about much longer periods of time. Well, and some of that is a function of the research. So the plethora of research over the years, it used to be that there would be one or two journals per specialty. Now there are multiple journals per specialty. So the plethora of new information out there is such that you can't memorize it and keep it for two or three years and know that it's going to stay the same. In all probability, in most specialties, there is something evolving all the time. So you go from a sort of memorization, rote learning kind of mentality to a critical thinking mentality, which then forces you to go back and re-engage and ask more questions and reference your peers and the evidence much more frequently. That makes sense. So that those shorter, faster turnaround hits are not necessarily bad things. It's just a totally different style and approach to learning. Right. Where do you see and, things? Yeah, please. No, and if you're in a conference like we are right now, maybe you, you can stay and listen to a 40-minute lecture. But if you're in front of a computer or any device, probably after five minutes... Four you're, or five you, minutes. Yes, exactly. you get bored. So time is, is different. Right, very different. Where do you see this going in maybe about five years down the road? What would it be like? Now we are experimenting... With, instead of connecting only people to people, connecting people to resources. And it's called friend sourcing. So if people, if your friends like certain things within a course or a certain type of course, it's more probable that you would like also like this, right. uh, this kind of a resource. So, so it's something similar to Netflix and, and this kind of thing. But Absolutely. W- but with the friends. So this is another extension of what we're doing, and we're doing a, a second research project around that. But definitely, automated tools to produce better social learning right. like, are going to be in place in, in continuing education in the health professions, definitely. I totally agree. How about you, Jan? Oh, I agree completely. I think it's nimble. I think you have to have nimble strategies that can be adapted and changed as the standards of care change and as the requirements and expectations for care change, and that can be modified to rural audiences, to urban audiences, that we can, you know, we now can translate things live on the web, so you're not limited to only one language. I mean, I think there are lots of opportunities, and the reality is is that things like the flu or other things are not limited to one country, and everyone's flying all over the globe, so you have to be what we want to be able to do is have people in India who may know about something that we in the United States don't know that they can inform us and recommend for us what the information is that we need to have because they're much more familiar with it. Or the reverse. You know, I think we can create sort of a, a global think tank, as it were, or through resources and friend sourcing in a very different kind of way that's not static but is really a sort of a living, breathing kind of responsive network. I mean, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, it's excellent. Last week, I was in a conference in Singapore, APMEC, but I was remotely from Montevideo. It was midnight in Montevideo. It was 11 
in the morning uh, next day in Singapore. Right. Well, the, the participation was as if I was there. So, I mean, technology is allowing for very disruptive innovations, as Jan said, and, and uh, participation without uh, moving people. Absolutely. Uh, experts and participants, but also interaction as we're talking. Interaction, personal, the look-alike connections that you can find these in the social networks, that's great. That's great. Thank you both for your great insights. We look forward to your actual presentation and getting some good points from there. And we will see you again soon. All right, great. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. We've been broadcasting from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. At the annual meeting, we're in Orlando, Florida, and lots of good, good content coming their way. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, featuring key insights from the Alliance's 2018 annual meeting. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com slash lifelonglearning.